however we come to it, you know, I do think as artists, whether you're self-taught or trained or whatever, we all have that moment where we're sort of looking at this planet from a distance and going, yeah, I think I built that. I think I made that. And then slowly zooming in to like what is on that planet. You're listening to Art and Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. Today is our first official guest interview of the season, and it is with none other than Marissa Avila Sailor. Marissa is a repeat guest on the show, so you know she is super fun to listen to and to talk to. She was on in season two, episode 17, I believe, and it's one of our most listened to episodes, actually. And in that conversation, she shared, you know, what she's had to unlearn from going to art school and some of her bigger perspectives of the realities of being a working artist. It's truly a great listen. I highly recommend it. Um, But today, her and I are having a bit of a collaborative jam session on world building in visual art. So Marissa and I make work that is very different from each other. Our backgrounds are different. You know, she's formally trained. She has an MFA. I am self-taught, as most of you probably know. Um, But one thing that we do have in common in our work is this aspect of creating another world. So I wanted to have her on this time around so that her and I could really unpack what our process and development for building our own worlds has looked like. So for those of you listeners who love all things fantastical, alternate reality, otherworldly, transcendent, surreal, this episode is so for you. Um, I'm excited for you. I Y'all are my people. Um, but even if you don't think of your work this way um, or this, this isn't your home genre, there is so much that her and I talk about in this conversation that is applicable and common amongst all artists, like regardless of the style that they might work in. You know, I think artists often become artists because they have a desire to create something better. Um, We use art as a way to grapple with the world around us or to give ourselves a safe haven. And when it comes to world building specifically, um, there is a very meta aspect to world building in art that just mirrors the process of being an artist in general, uh, which is a very interesting aspect of it that Marissa and I definitely get into. So in the first half of this conversation, Marissa and I do a lot of jamming on, you know, why world building? Why are we seeing more artists create this kind of work? Why has it become more culturally relevant? What is the impetus for her and I's work? Um, There's a lot of great things that come up here about what it's like to be an artist in our current society and, and how world building specifically is fitting into that for both of us. And in the second half of the conversation, we get a little more into the nitty gritty of process and development and our own trajectories and you know why they are similar and how they're also different. My hope is that this conversation is validating for those of you who are drawn to making this kind of work, Um, For those of you who know you go into your studios because you enjoy being in your own little world, we talk a lot about that. And I hope it gives you some food for thought on your own work and the course of your own trajectory, maybe looking at the worlds you've been creating in a way that you haven't moved for. So I just have one announcement before we get into the conversation, and that is that Marissa and I are actually co-teaching a course all about world building for visual artists 
together that starts on April 9th. So this course is for artists at any stage who work in any media who are interested in further developing or starting to develop their own creative cosm. You can really work in any style. We'll be covering everything from the representational to the abstract and non-representational. It's really just about if you view your work as its own world or if you would like to start approaching it from a world building framework. We're going to be exploring artists who have and are currently making work like this to give your own work a bit of context. And then each class will have a workshop portion where we do assignments and activities and reflections based on your own work as well. And then in our final session together, which you'll hear us talk about in the episode, we will break up into small groups for a bit of gentle, constructive, welcoming, encouraging feedback. Something that's important to both Marissa and I is providing an enriching, fun, educational experience where you will really learn things and really strengthen your work, but that is also accessible no matter your background, no matter if you're formally trained, beginner, advanced, um, all are welcome and we really hope to have you. So you can get all of the information for that with the link in the show notes. We are beyond excited about it um, and we hope to see you in there. All right, so for those of you who don't already know her, Marissa Avila Saylor is a, a Metro Los Angeles local who works in drawing, painting, and sculpture using both traditional and experimental media. She earned a BFA from the Atlanta College of Arts in 2005 and an MFA from California State University Fullerton in 2009. Her teaching and educational field experience ranges from art exploration with neurodivergent preschoolers to traditional undergraduate drawing and painting instruction to doctorate level lecture, curriculum, design, and administration. She is currently a grant writer for Color Compton, a youth-focused nonprofit focused on black and brown history, art, and community. She has exhibited in numerous Los Angeles galleries in institutions such as the Torrance Art Museum and the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach, California, and her work is in private collections all over the world. Outside of the studio, Marissa and her spouse of 18 years are guiding their two exceptional young children in the art of being explorers of this universe. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Marissa. Okay, so we are here to talk about all things world building, which is really exciting for us because we've been nerding out on this topic so hard over the past like month and a half. Um, so why don't we just kick it off with what is world building to us? How are we viewing this in art? What do you, how, how would you kind of define it for this context? I think it's it's such a huge thing, but it's highly personal um, for each person that's that's deciding to to set out and create their own world. Um, for me, it it has a lot to do with crafting, um, crafting the things around me to to suit me, and that completely seeps into my artwork. Um, and so, I guess you know, if we were to define it, it would be a, a very personal crafting. Uh, with, within your art. And it, it can be something as simple as just building a world um, of color or of shapes that, that make you happy or creating entire mythologies behind it as well. I think, you know, there are as many different worlds as there are people who build them. 
Um, and so that's why it's kind of hard to define, but I, I think for me, it's, it's mostly a, a highly personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would say the same for myself and maybe we'll get into like why world building is so exciting in art. And we're definitely going to talk about our relationships to it, but what's interesting, like, well, for one, I think I started to identify what I was doing as world building. And then I started looking elsewhere and realizing that a lot of the art I was resonating with was other artists creating their own worlds as well. Um, so I kind of just started talking about it in this way, but I also realized that this isn't necessarily a traditional, necessarily a traditional genre in fine art. Um, and I know you have some thoughts about where it comes from. So when we talk about world building, like where do we see it as typically existing? And then what genres do we, how do we see it kind of playing in and out of fine art? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe the more familiar forms of world building that people know have to do with authors and video games and movies, um, ways that we can kind of very easily jump into a world that that somebody else has created for us. Uh, in visual art, I think maybe it's a little implied that you're, mm. you're creating a world in a way, um, but to intentionally do it, I, I don't know that there were any movements in art history that that said this is what we do we build worlds for this reason um i i don't know like what do you think about that i think i see i feel like i when i'm like looking elsewhere for who else has made this work and is making this work i see elements of world building existing in different ways in different genres that we've already historically kind of labeled Right. Mm -hmm. So like I see elements of it in surrealism or like abstract impressionism. Um, what is it? Magical realism. Mm -hmm. Like I see elements of it and different variations of how strong or subtle it is in these ways. But I think I think really naming it as something in and of itself to be addressed and work with worked with in fine art feels like newer, at least, at least to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm thinking of it. Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at the past 10, 15 years, or even 20 years, gosh, I'm losing track of time, um, of how art has evolved because of accessibility. And we can thank things like Instagram and, and other uh, social media sites that have enabled artists to not only share their work, but connect with other artists and really get in these conversations that used to be solely within, you know, um, high end art and solely in the gallery, solely in the museum and not necessarily happening within people's homes unless you are surrounded by artists. Um, so this whole opening up and, you know, the, the gates are being flung wide open, I think is, really encouraging for a lot of people to feel like they they have the ability they have the access um and they have the support to to be able to live out these dreams artistically where maybe before we weren't able to do that because we didn't have those things we didn't have people showing us how to make things on youtube and we didn't have you know you, you couldn't send a message to your favorite artist on instagram and and chat with them for a little bit um, I, I think having that now is is such a huge like propeller behind this kind of movement of building worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of brings up a point that I know we've also talked about is 
I don't know if this is actually happening or it's based on where my work has gone and my own interests, but from where I'm sitting, it seems like so much of this kind of work um, that feels otherworldly or like a place in and of itself is either being made more or gaining in popularity. Um, And I find that interesting. Like, Like I said, I don't know if it's because I've just popped in and I'm like, oh, look at all these people doing this, or if there actually is like an uptake what do, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, I agree with you that I think there's an uptick because, you know, as the generations turn over, we're, a lot of the art that we're looking at now maybe is made by people my age, you know, I'm 39 going on 40. And uh, we have had very different experiences than maybe somebody in the generation before us. I think having lived through recessions, having, you know, been told to do one thing with your life, go to college, do these things, and then seeing so many people go, hey, that wasn't the right thing. Um, I I do think there's a generational aspect of of rejecting a lot of that previous stuff simply for the sake of joy, for the sake of making art makes me happy, and I don't care if I'm in a gallery or not. Um, I think there's more of those attitudes now, and I, I do think a lot of it is, is, a reaction to what we've been taught or what just what came before us. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense because when I think about my own trajectory into making work like this, I think I started doing more world building once I started really being like, well, if I could just do whatever I actually wanted, what would I do? And I was like, mm-hmm. I would create a pink and purple world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And And so in that there is a bit of like rejection of like what I maybe would have thought I would have been supposed to be doing and also just like reacting being subconsciously, but being my age, going through things I've gone through, all of that being part of late stage capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Slogging through it. (laughs) Yeah. Where we would like another place to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I, you know, jumping off of that is the whole idea of escapism. Um, Mm I want another place to go than where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult. And I, and I will say that I think it's amplified over the past couple of years with, um, you know, the pandemic and, and just everything that comes along with it. Uh, many of us were sort of confined to our homes. Some of us were not that lucky and had to go out and see death a lot in the last few years. Um, And I think that, of course, it's very natural, it's very human to say, I don't want to see that. I don't want to go out there and do that. So if I have a chance to to build something that will make me happy or that will at least help me forget that for a few minutes, uh, that's what I'm gonna do. And so I do think there's like a huge survival um, escapist kind of feeling behind that, which is why we might be seeing more of it now. Um, I know that, I've just heard just, from a lot of people over the past couple of years that they realize it's important to create things. When you look out and you see all kinds of destruction around you, um, the, the idea of building something amidst things that are crumbling is, is I think maybe a, a hopeful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, totally. It's interesting too, this idea of escapism, um, Cause I know in my work and I'm, I was thinking about yours too. You have to tell me if you feel like you also do this. Um, it's like, yes, it's escapist, 
and always whatever I'm grappling with in life, like that narrative and and my work tends to be kind of narrative based. Um, that narrative still weaves its way in. And so it's like both this escapist place and a place where I may be able to like safely deal with, um, you know, things that are very real and happening. And so it serves this like dual function and, and, you know, of course, different artists approach world building in different ways with different reasons. But do you feel like you do that? Like, do you feel like your place is like kind of this totally like separate uh, cosm <laughs> that you've created <laughs> to use one of your words? Um, or do you feel like also there's these elements of, of your own life that like find their way into? Um, I definitely have a cathartic like experience with some of these. So I've done, you know, my work will range from just fun, happy slugs that I just want to see <laughs> to much deeper concepts of things. Um, for example, I did one that's called Reliquary for Screaming, and it's like this big head with what looks like roller coasters coming out of its mouth. For me, that was an immediate reaction to uh, seeing people uh, locked up at our borders, and mm. we were like putting kids in cages. And that's how my family came over, you know, mm. many, many years ago. And so for me, this was, you know, my way of saying, damn, I'm a mother, I have kids. I cannot fathom this. And I am so privileged and lucky to not be able to fathom this. Like that's, I'm lucky. And so sometimes we can't deal with these things with words or with conversations and, and we have to kind of build them out in order to understand them. And I'm a very sensory, tactile, visual person. And, and so, yeah, for me to kind of work through a lot of these things, I have to do it physically. And that, I think ultimately builds a whole new world for mm -hmm. me to, to kind of live in. And it is a safe place uh, for me to experience those terrible feelings and terrible, you know, emotions um, that come along with it. Yeah. yeah it's a, and it's also a safe place for the viewer too, like mm -hmm. oftentimes. So it's like cathartic for the maker who's building the world. But then at the same time, like I was just thinking how I find catharsis and just resonate so deeply with some of this some other work that it, the worlds are totally different than my own, but I, I just fall in love with it because I, I'm just craving any level of catharsis or escapism in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it I, I agree. I mean, I listen to a lot of metal and I watch horror, it, even though my work does not reflect this. Yeah. I've got fangs and it's a little like ominous, but uh, there is something to be said about like listening to Guar and really listening to the lyrics and going, wow, this is really violent. And guess what? It's a reflection of our society, but I can see it in this like really theatrical, gross kind of way that sort of makes me laugh because it's a little silly too. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's like a balm on top of these terrible things um, that kind of help us through it. So definitely on one hand, I've just got fun stuff because I want to have fun. And on the other hand, it's how do I deal with this world outside of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting too. Like, so as I have announced, you know, you and I have put together a course all about world building and we had such a great time talking about our favorite world building artists, like across all media and forms. And there was such a wide range from like, you know, the utopian to the like taboo, you know, and how mm -hmm. all of these things offer escapism and catharsis in a lot of ways, but just 
kind of in digging into these artists and what they're making, seeing how what is cathartic is so different for every artist. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of going back to what you started with, like somebody's reasons for for creating a new world are so personal. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, these worlds can exist from the strange to the euphoric to horrible. um, But there's something that if you like this kind of work, you're often drawn to all of the different aspects. Um, So I just find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think if someone were watching us when we were planning this course, I think it was just like, they would just see two people who were just constantly excited and going, <laughs> oh, what about this person? And yeah. just like, yeah. Like um, there's some thrill in that. that yeah. I don't know if I've pinned down what that thrill is about, but like, I don't know, maybe just like seeing people who do kind of what you do, but in their own way is maybe it's validating. Maybe it was validation. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's such a good point. The thrill that's so yeah. accurate. And what comes when I'm thinking about, I hadn't thought about that, but for me, I think so much of it is like amazement and then mm-hmm. maybe also just obsession with the topic. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, and I think like, okay, for me, I have a hunger for things that are not like normal (laughs) so you know I can look outside and all the houses are the same color all the trees kind of look the same if you want to show me a really wild environment I am all about it because personally I crave that I want to see the weird houses the things that don't make sense things that other people would kind of crinkle their noses at that draws me in big time I think that maybe that's just like overall the escapist in me or just the need for that sensory experience um so yeah I mean how do you feel about that do you think some of that thrill is yeah other than amazement but like I'm actually having I don't know if this answers your question but I'm having a totally on the spot personal revelation (laughs) (laughs) yes which is that so before I really dove into making art when I was in my young 20s I, all I cared about was like traveling and just living somewhere that wasn't here. And I remember it was was a very challenging time where I was bouncing around a lot of (laughs) trauma and being very all over the place. Uh, I don't desire to go back to it, but I'm remembering that I would just feel like my nervous system would feel calmed when I would find myself in like the craziest, most different environment possible. I don't want to do that now. Um, But I remember like going to India or these places that would feel like the most different than what I would be used to. There was something really thrilling about that. And I I think I'm just tracing that that desire to be in an environment that is other started very early on. And then when I got back, dealing with life, started making art, like my way to replace that was diving into my own world of art. And later that then developed and to creating my own other worlds that could just live with me all the time. And so I think when you were saying, you know, you go outside and the trees are the same and you're just like craving the strange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that like kind of puts some language to my own experience as well. Um, now that I'm adult, I don't actually want to live in, in chaos all the time. <laughs> um, and I actually think that there's an element to what I'm doing now that is, is magical in a, in a different way that I, I wouldn't trade, but yeah, I definitely feel the same way. What was your actual question? <laughs> uh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> 
I don't I don't think it was like a question but more like just you know how do you feel about yeah about yeah that, yeah that aspect of it of you know th- that craving of something else and where might that yeah. come from do you think because you know I've spent a long time trying to figure out like why EF am I an artist why mm. do I do this um why do why did I pick something so challenging to to like make a life out of and it's taken me a long time but I think I realized you know when I realized I was autistic and realized I was ADHD like light bulbs totally I I mean knowing that I am like 99% sensory and I just need to feel stuff with my hands I need to smell it I need to see the things that kind of make me happy that feed me I I had pushed those things out of my life for so long because they were not necessarily accepted in art school. For example, I love Pee Wee's Playhouse. I have always loved Pee Wee Herman. Everything about it like gives me so much joy. And it's like a very wholesome, you know, thing too. And I remember going to art school and mentioning it. And I had an, a professor that looked at me and was like, what is that? Like this humorless, <laughs> what are you talking about this? I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about Francisco Goya. And yeah, I love Goya, but I do feel like this, this love and this excitement for sensory things was totally dampened in my training. And so once I got far enough away from that, I realized, no, you know what? I love to be surrounded by color. I I need it. I don't do well in rooms without color. And so, so for me, a lot of that was like a realization of oh crap, this is how my, this is my operating system. <laughs> it's, it's different than everybody else's. Um, and so learning to feed that was totally wraps into the world building aspect of my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have really created that for yourself in a very real way. Cause girl, I've been to your studio and that place is a world. It is bursting with your like what I want to call it, landscape, environment, just stuff, flowers, smileys. It is like explosive and so cool to step into because you really created it where you like really have it as this like layer in your house. (laughs) Yeah, this is my happy place. And like anybody who comes over will walk in and they'll go, what? Yeah, it's that effect. (laughs) Like It's like, yep, I got Christmas lights everywhere. I have clouds on the walls. I have crazy art everywhere. And, And again, going back to that whole rejection, type of thing like a lot of that comes from me the little inner brat in me that says no I will not be told what is good art and what is bad art I will make my own art um so yeah a lot of mine is my work is driven by that but you know I don't know that I have that I get that feel from you you have a much calmer sort of like I don't know how how would you describe yours because I know mine comes from being a bit of a jerk about my training so (laughs) what um how would I describe mine? I mean, I'm, that's a never ending and I'm sure we'll talk about this too, but how you describe it is kind of its own process. Yeah. Um, there is definitely a throwback to childhood and the things that comforted me in childhood. I think Mm -hmm. maybe some of the contrast that you might be pointing out between yours and mine is that yours has this way of expressing that's like maximal and explosive. Yes. And I think mine, um, you know, I've had people comment that it feels minimal, but I, to me, that has never been intentional. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just been interesting for me to kind of receive. I am definitely trying to create something that is like, as least like the physical world as possible, 
which is kind of interesting because art is a physical element. Um, we're using physical materials. And so to kind of mirror something that's very like etheric and like not something we're familiar with and at least give that feeling through something that isn't so easily recognizable, but still kind of is, I think is part of the challenge that I enjoy. And so with that, I think I try to be very intentional and, and maybe the effect of that is that it's more minimal. Um, but also it's changing a lot. Like even in this work I'm developing now, I find myself more and more wanting to reference real things. So that could be reflective of my own personal transitioning. Um, but yeah, there, I think like at its core, it's like the little girl in me who wants to go live somewhere magical. And then the adult in me that wants that magical place to be nothing like the physical world at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I yeah. see your work as kind of walking that line, it's like walking the line between the like complete release to a fantasy world, but like still kind of tethered to, to reality in, in a way. Um, I really love like the characters that you've developed. So I see the little, the little pieces in your work. And to me, those are very narrative and they're very, like they're telling me a story and seeing them grow and like take shape and flop over things and sort of escape and sort of hang halfway in and out of these uh, spaces that you've created um, is, I, I think if it were maximal, like entirely maximal, we would lose some of that. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to explore more what the minimalism is about. Maybe that is like actually good food for thought for, mm -hmm. for me moving forward. Cause I really, I really don't have an answer to that other than like, when I try to do this thing, it comes out kind of minimal and there, there must be a reason for that, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, the reason might be that that's just how you interact with your materials and yeah. you know, you, you are just very thoughtful about what you're using and how. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thoughtfulness resonates for sure. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. This is all kind of like actually wrapping around to something that, you know, um, kind of came to mind when you were talking about your connection to Pee Wee's Playhouse. And mm -hmm. we've, we may have danced around this in some of the worlds and artists that we discussed in creating the course, but I don't know if we actually named it specifically, which is that so much of the worlds that I fell in love with were worlds that were introduced to me as a child. And it seems like content for children tends to be very otherworldly in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I was thinking how, when you said Pee Wee's Playhouse, I was thinking how for me, um, so much of it is fantasy land at Disneyland, like, and that is pink and purple castle to the, oh, yeah. to the max. That's my place, you know? Um, <laughs> so like Disney- yeah, Disney has played a big role in that. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting that like the content that's mostly produced for kids is otherworldly. And I wonder, I don't know, I'm like, what is that about? <laughs> well, I, I've always had a huge beef with like expectations for adults. Mm. Um, I have always sort of given into the things that thrill me. And so if I'm going to wear rainbow socks every day, I'm going to wear rainbow socks every day. I don't care how old I am. Um, I don't care what you think of me. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. do it. And um, I do think that, you know, we hit a certain age and people have these expectations that you must give up so much of your childhood, so much of the things that you liked. 
and I guess we're using childhood like in a loose term, you know, of, of sort of maybe the more naive enjoyments, um, not necessarily oh, yeah. things that happen between the years of two, age two and nine or whatever. Um, but I have always had issues with this of saying, nope, you're an adult now, you've got to put on your nylons and your high heels and go to work and sit at a computer and, and not laugh and make small talk with your neighbors. Like I've never wanted that in my life. I've had to do it, but I've not enjoyed it. And we have these expectations of adults to, to just give up, to give up all of these things. And maybe that's living in the capitalist society where, because there's no room for it. You can't make money off of having fun, you know, unless it's you real hard to it. do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. We're yeah. trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that that is my take on it is, you know, all of the colors and the joy and the excitement, like it really gets squashed out of you once you become this age where you're expected to be productive for society. Mm, and yeah. uh, my, you know, my response to that is, well, creating art and creating places for people to bond and connect is is a productive thing. And I'm sorry that it does not produce tons of money for somebody who works above me, but I reject all of that and I have the privilege to do it. So I am rejecting it wholly. And maybe that's a big part of why I, I paint clouds on everything. And I have, mm. you know, happy face flowers with crooked teeth. And because those things are not valued as adults and I'm going to demand that <laughs> at least I value it. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's, Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know if this is across cultures, but definitely in the United States, um, there's this urge to give up. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe like part of the answer there is that like, you know, play and magic and colors and otherworldliness and, you know, insert fun adjectives here is like maybe actually something that is suitable for human nature but only the kids get it because exactly, exactly. only the kids get to play with it because then once you get older, it's just, I, the word that really stuck out to me that you used was productivity. Yeah. Um, and like, there are some companies like Disney who have turned these things into productive money makers and, you know, good for them. I like, I like their shit, but, <laughs> but for the most part, um, it's very hard to, to, pay your bills with that, to be viewed as productive. If that's what you are engaging with all the time, like that we just haven't made room for it. It's not part of capitalist, uh, play acting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it, it, I feel like there's a certain age or stage in life where we are just expected to crush that. And it, it doesn't even have to refer to actual childhood but just the things that bring us joy because you know what I show my work and I've got people of every age telling me dang this is awesome oh I want to live in that and why do we have to lose that urge when we're older and I think we're just told to and a lot of us just do what we're told and people like me try to do what we're told and then like can't do it you know I'm sitting in an office doing my job and I'm like I can't deal with this like like the walls mm -hmm. are white there's fluorescent lights above me and we're talking about interest rates or just something that I don't care about mm -hmm. um so yeah part of the whole world building idea at least for me is I refuse to give that up I'm going to refuse yeah. Like if I could do what I, what I'm told I would, <laughs> I've tried, I've but tried. I can't. So here we are. I was uh, not down. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Bringing that back to this concept of world building and the artists that choose, choose to do it or have elements of that. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but it just gave me the thought like, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm turning my true nature into a place I can go or visit visually or in my mind or interact with. Um, I had this pinged for the end, but actually it feels kind of like it fits here, but this idea of the meta aspect of world creating Mm -hmm. where in creating, and this is an idea that you've brought on, so we're going to have you elaborate, but the way I understand it is um, in the process of creatively constructing your own world, you are in a sense creating your own world that is your creative process that you're getting to live in. So it's very meta. Is that, Mm -hmm. is that the descriptor? Yes. (laughs) So yeah, for me, realizing that I needed needed to be an artist. So I, I mean, I went to art school, I got my master's and the economy took a dump. And so I went into like actual education where I was in an office and everything. And I, I'm like, I don't even like sitting in this room. So I had to think of, you know, where do I even want to sit throughout the day? Where do I want to be? Realizing I had to build that world for myself out here in reality. Um, in the real world, I have to build my own. And that is, you know, finding a place that I could have a studio, making the studio my own, doing all this work out in the real world to, to create a place conducive for me to make my imaginary worlds. Uh, so yeah, becoming an artist, making a career out of it, working my butt off around it so that I could have this, so that I could wake up every day, drop my kids off to school and come back to my, my world and just, create or be happy that's that meta aspect and you know bonus I get to squish clay and move paint around while I'm in there and create whole other worlds as well so yeah it's very deep yes (laughs) yeah it's true I mean it's if if you're an artist even if you're not one who you know fits this kind of like world building genre whatever um, you do end up kind of creating your own world and living it. And I think for a lot of us, that is the appeal is like, we want to be with our own ideas and the things that we like, um, somewhat protected from the atrocities of what might be going out outside of going on outside of our studio, even if we're grappling with them within the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's the draw for me. I think when we were together, you asked me, my, I I forget the question, but it, maybe it was like my, why, like, what was that original draw to being an artist? And, um, you know, for me, it started off as, as dance when I was younger and a bit of creative writing and, um, then like some visual art making that started and developed as I got older, but always the common thread is like, I just want to be like in my own world, like making Mm -hmm. creative choices with myself. And there's something where like, that is the most comfortable for me. And of course there's like an expression aspect and there's other things involved in that little world that like tickle my fancy, but at its, at its core, I think that's what it's about. And so I must just be extra connected to that. If within that world, what I'm doing is creating other worlds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think another way to describe it is freedom seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though you are creating a little meta world, you are creating a place in which you can have ultimate freedom um, within that world. So like for me, making art is freedom seeking. I've said it before. It's the only place that I get to be myself, that I get to 
you know, use words in the way that they suit me. Um, again, like I said, being neurodivergent, if I go out into the outside world, I'm constantly like making sure my body is not too weird for the people around me, that I'm not moving too strange, that I am making the proper amount of eye contact, that the words that are coming out of my mouth make sense because I naturally don't do those things. My daughter was non-speaking for many years. She was almost five before she's really started talking in sentences and like communicating. But I totally got her nonverbal stuff. Like her, just a look, I could tell what she was thinking. And that feels very at home for me. Um, so to create a, a place where I feel free to express in that way that I can use a mixture of English and Spanish and made up words because those, that, those are the languages that I know. Um, that is freedom because when I'm out in the outside world, I don't get to freely speak like that. I don't mm. get to freely act like that. So yeah, I do think that there's a huge, like, um, a huge aspect of it that is seeking that freedom to just be yourself. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of artists are like that where I can just be free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. That kind of makes me want to dive in a little bit to the specifics about your world and your work. Um, because I, I mean, I am very familiar with your work and seeing it and being around it, but I don't know how much of the narrative, if that exists, um, like I'm not as familiar with that. So maybe you could tell us, can you just tell us a little bit about your world? Like, I know that's kind of an open-ended question, but can we start there? Yeah, well, I'll start somewhere really specific. Okay. I, I love worms, like love them. <laughs> Great. They're my favorite thing. <laughs> I love all kinds of bugs. But worms, do you like them in real life? Like, <laughs> yes, I have questions. I do. Okay. Yes. Like you want to go outside and see them. Okay. I do. They are one of like my safe, you know, my safe bugs. Mm. You know, there are bugs that I will worship from afar, but like I am not going to go touch or bother. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the big Japanese flying beetles, but the sound of them is so like it's like machinery mm. um, that I just have this reaction to them. So I just look at them from far away. Um, but worms, let me talk about worms. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> they, okay. So like in society, I always think about how we do not worship them as much as we should. And even like looking at Lord of the Rings and there's a character called worm tongue and he's a bad guy and he's a worm tongue because he's like saying all whispering these terrible things into the king's ear and making him do these bad things but like what a bad rap because it's not the worm's fault that it's used as bait right it's just trying to exist um worms in terms of like agriculture are completely necessary they eat decomposing matter and Maybe it's a thing that we don't like to talk about as a culture of death, um, but like they, they eat death basically. And then they crap out really valuable material that help things grow. So like they eat death and they shit life. And this to me is like, wow, what an amazing concept. And it's funny. And yeah, it's it is silly, funny. I'm laughing. But, <laughs> but like, and like you could cut a worm in half and it would like turn into another worm. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And yes, I love worms and I could talk about them all day. But so for me, you know, this putting worms and everything, I know it's cute. And I know it reminds people of like slimy from Sesame Street, which is good because I also love Sesame Street. Um, so for me, this is just a tiny piece of asserting like what I think is important. Um, and in my world, we worship worms. 
So that that's I guess a part of what my world building is about, like what I think is important and what I think maybe is missed and what I think isn't valued out in the world. So yeah, I'm gonna put worms in everything forever probably. If that answers a tiny bit. Yeah, it answers a whole lot that I didn't know actually. Um, a, just about worms in general, but also, <laughs> also I really like that ending kind of phrase, which is like, you know, in my world, we, we honor and highlight the things that I think are missed. And when you said that, and then I got flashes of your work, I was like, yes, that Mm -hmm. is so much of your work. I see that, but I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I think, and I think people can touch on it. You know, I've always said that we know more than we think we do when we're looking at art. I can show work to, to somebody who doesn't think that they are um, good at art and they can usually understand concepts that are coming through if they really believe in themselves if they really like dig deep and they don't just push back and go oh no no I don't look at art I don't understand um so for example like I put mushrooms in a lot of my work too and if you want to talk about it symbolically yeah it's about hallucination but I'm somebody who has always had a beyond active imagination um at this point I realize it's hyperfantasia where I have like major visions and things um, good and bad. It's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) So for me, that's the honoring of that about myself and about other people is um, imagination and being able to see beyond what's just in front of us. Uh, Yes, mushrooms are cute and they're like real, real cool right now. They're really in. (laughs) But uh, even, okay, if we're going to nerd out here, even just talking about fungus in general, fungus is incredible. Like slime mold. I still haven't put slime mold into my work as much as I would like to, but slime mold can communicate with itself. It is amazing. So, you know, yeah, in my world, we worship these things. Out in this world, we don't really worship that at all. You know, there's very few of us who actually value those things. And so I'm having my own little epiphany here. Yeah. (laughs) The the things that I value and I refuse to to set them aside for the values of our society. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, so more, much, but yeah, so much of that I'm real. Well, also when you said mushrooms before you said the hallucination aspect, I was like mushrooms also decompress yeah. or not decompress, decompost the dead, mm-hmm. dead matter. And so yeah, similarly with worms. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm realizing, and this should be so obvious, but maybe because my mind is goes right to all the colors and all the fun. <laughs> um, such a um, reverence of nature. Like yes. that is so present in your work. And I don't know how much, if I really knew that about you, to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the, the thing with my work, as chaotic as it can be, or as like silly or fun or whatever, I always want it to operate on several different levels. So even if it's just you know, eye candy. I'm good with that. I will, I'm happy to just pump out some eye candy because I think we need that. And I think there's value in just treating your senses to something, whatever it is. Like I have this little like wax melt thing that smells great. And it's in this cool little light up thing. And there's no real purpose for it other than I enjoy it. And it smells good and it's, it looks cute. And so I feel that same way about my art. If someone thinks that it just makes them feel good and it looks good, that's fine. I always have much more, you know, behind it and I don't expect people to get it, but I've, some people do and they really catch on to it because maybe they have similar values. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I think I lost my thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you were just saying like, yeah, it's fine if you just like the colors. <laughs> oh, right. It's, the nature, the nature yes. part. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, I have, I will spend a lot of time outside, like just looking mm. at stuff. I think some of my earliest like memories are of watching snails and slugs in my backyard. And I've never been bored doing that. And I look at my daughter walking with her. She's the same way. She will stop every two seconds to find a bug, to find a leaf, to just explore it. And so I think that's just like this internal obsession with things that are created, things that move, and just mm. wanting to know more about that. Um, mm -hmm. There are plenty of things I have no interest in whatsoever, but like nature, bugs, and it's terrifying too. Like nature, there are um, caterpillars that if you touch them, they will like poison you. <laughs> so I think maybe knowing all about the world around me, knowing what is safe, what is not, and, and then creating something comfortable from it and uh, is, is a big part, I think. Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking too, world building is such a great place to compile all of our obsessions. <laughs> totally. It's like, it's like the file cabinet where uh -huh. we put all of the stuff we love. Um, now I know for you, like you have nostalgia as a lot mm. of your, your, um, impetus behind what you're making. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a question about that <laughs> other than yeah. can you elaborate? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's kind of like if your impetus is nature, maybe mine is nostalgia in some yeah. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, it's been so weird developing my work because I until I started reflecting on my work, I would have not described myself as a nostalgic person. Like I think mm -hmm. when I used to think of that word, I would think of somebody like sentimental or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I would not really describe myself that way very much. Um, but I think there is this subconscious like memory of things that made me feel like myself and safe and happy. And I think that's the obsession, like trying to understand what were those things and what did it look like? And if I could give it a symbol and a feeling, what would that be? And just what keeps coming up is just all these things from childhood and honestly, early preteen years, like I'm freaking loving this, um, throwback to 2000s fashion <laughs> as like a trashy and like kind of weird as a lot of it is. I'm like, I love these triangle bandana tops and low cut jeans. Like I don't want to wear them, but it just makes me so happy because there's something in me. Like maybe that, maybe there's something from that time that I'm trying to like grasp. Maybe there is, a connection to innocence. Like I, I haven't quite pinpointed the total why behind it, but all I know is that like remembering these things makes me feel good. And, and maybe there is that escapist aspect coming in of like, this is before social media. This is before, um, before having to go sit under the fluorescent lights. Like there could be that aspect to it. Um, and so, yeah, it's like when I'm creating my world, I want it to be colored with these things that, that make me feel connected to that innocence. And, and maybe I was even more connected to magic at that time, or maybe I just genuinely lived in my own world more and more as a kid before it got beaten out of me. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's all that. I, I was going to ask, like, when you make these, do you think of little younger Devin when you're making them? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes, maybe not directly. 
I think when I'm looking to discover uh, new elements, I think about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, I think I actually am just thinking about my current self and what she likes. And I'm just noticing that what she likes is all this stuff from that time period. So <laughs> picking each thing up and yeah. sticking it in like, your bag. Oh, lucky charms. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> Holly pockets. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's that. I've got lots of new, I'm, I'm kind of on this kick of like candy. I mean, I love sweets and desserts, old Devon, middle Devon, new Devon, future Devon. She likes desserts, like no matter what. And sure. so, um, so, but this, the candy that I loved, you know, it was also like, I mean, I could clearly just go on this forever, but I think there was a lot of things I wasn't, I was very controlled as a child. And so it's like me getting to have that freedom now of like having all the candy I want and wearing all the like Christina Aguilera clothes that I want. And like, I'm not like actually going to wear them, but there's this, this part of me that's still in that and wanting those things because I didn't get to have them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like giving that to myself now in my art. <laughs> you you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to wear. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And, I will eat yeah. 17 ring pops and do, I will do it at whatever hour that I want. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the boss of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a similar candy relationship. <laughs> uh, but that definitely takes me back to childhood for the same reasons too. Mm. Like candy, man, we could do a whole episode on candy probably. We should uh, do a collaborative art piece on candy. <laughs> fueled by sugar. I yes. have like, you know, talking about my own meta, my studio, I have a candy drawer. It started with a candy yes. drawer. Now I have like a candy cabinet with just like pounds of Twizzlers and stuff. And there is oh, a it's the Twizzlers for you. Okay. Oh, sh- well, yeah. Now I don't pick sides. I like Twizzlers <laughs> and red vines, but, <laughs> but there is something about that. Like, okay, candy, there's no caloric like value in it. It's pure yeah. sugar. Loaded with will, red dye. <laughs> it will rot your teeth and yeah, turn your insides colors. Yeah. Yet we love it and we enjoy it and we're going to do it anyway. And maybe that is like symbolic for a mm-hmm. lot of things, you know, maybe it's yeah. driven by candy. I don't know. There's something about it. That's pure joy. And like, I don't know, I guess what we find joyful is subjective, but like when I think about rainbow sprinkles, I'm like, mm-hmm. that shit was just designed to be joyful. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, probably from another perspective designed to make you buy it. Um, but still whatever it worked, they knew what they were doing. Like rainbows and sugar together make people want it. And I would, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Um, there's so, value in that. I yeah. think there's value in like joy for the sake of joy and mm-hmm. yeah, it might rot your teeth. I'm sorry to my dentist, but <laughs> like they, you know, I'm, <laughs> I think we should be able to enjoy the rainbow sprinkles and not yeah. be told this you're too old for that or whatever, because like, yeah, if I'm going to the yogurt place I'm getting gummy worms I'm getting boba I'm getting like everything cool on there with very little yogurt it's all top yeah. <laughs> so yeah I think there, that's like a, another kind of rebellion I think of mm. maybe that we both share in terms of the rainbows and the like sparkles mm. and all of that is yeah I know I'm this age and you can't tell me what to do mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. And there's that like freedom seeking, seeking element too, which as I was remembering, like the aspects that are like rebelling and seeking to have what I couldn't have. I think there's that at play, which definitely mm-hmm. resonates. Um, okay. So something that 
I'm curious about and want to talk about a little bit is like the develop, like our development of these worlds, because I know for me, like I didn't pick up a pencil for the first time and like draw my world. <laughs> it's been like, I've worked into it, you know, and we have very different histories as well on this front. And so, you know, especially because like in the course we're teaching part of what we are going to be exploring and diving into is like how we develop these worlds. How do we flesh them out? How do we make them stronger? What are the aspects we could consider, um, to, to strengthen it, you know? And so that's a bit of a coming up with that has been a bit of a retrospective process, at least for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious when you retrospectively look at your development, what is the trajectory kind of been like for you to get to this space? Like, where did you start? How did it come about? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like, like I've said before, I have made art for as long as I can remember and like always had an art class in school and people encouraging me. And so going on to study in school, I think my trajectory is kind of like up, down, up, down, up, down, <laughs> because I would sort of follow what I wanted to do and then get sort of bonked back down and told, oh, that's too much color or that's too childish. And me trusting these faculty members, I don't, oh, well, okay, I guess I'll change it. And so I feel like my, to, to get where I am now, I had to just throw a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of it away. And I do feel like I, in a way I envy self-taught artists because you may not have had this experience of being a very creative person and then being shoved into a box for a little while and then trying to like punch your way out of that box. Um, some people never do it. And I feel like getting to my worlds is really only kind of a recent thing for me in the last few years. Um, I think all of my work up to that was sort of building into it. But like you said, hindsight, hindsight is the most important thing for me as an artist to, to be able to look back and see what did I do and why what did I think worked and what didn't and for what reasons? And I think looking back and realizing a lot of the work I wasn't happy with was because I was just following other people's like suggestions and, and leads. Um, so yeah, I, I think it wasn't until a few years ago when I fully understood myself as neurodivergent, fully understood why things did not work out for me in school. I, I mean, I did well in school, but like why I was not proud of that art and why I didn't feel like it was my own. Um, yeah, I think my trajectory was like fully marked with just trying to find myself throughout this whole 20 years of being an artist. Um, and so now I would say looking at it, it's very obvious that I was always trying to build my own world and I just struggled for whatever reason, not having the resources, not having the guidance or just having harmful guidance. Um, so yeah, I think I would say it's very recent, although the ideas behind it have been there my whole life. Um, mm. Just being able to kind of turn it into something physical and something real was maybe the last like three or four years where I really feel like I've actually done what I've been wanting to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my, my whole journey is like marked with a lot of filtering, like having to filter out things that just weren't working for me. Whereas mm -hmm. like, what about yours? You know, tell me where yours came from. Yeah. I mean, other than the art school aspect, a lot of it resonates, you know, this idea of like the ideas have been there my whole life, but I've only maybe hit on the worlds in the, in like recent years. Um, and also this 
like process of, of finding myself and bringing that forward in my work. I do think some, um, gosh, what would be the word? Like not milestones, but like important thing, important moments maybe that have really helped have been reflection and hindsight because it's like on those points where I was able to identify what I was doing, even if I didn't know the whole story and I still don't know the whole story, um, really allowed me to build on that. So it was like, once I realized like, oh, I'm using colors for my childhood. Like, oh, I'm, I'm creating an atmosphere. Like even when I was doing abstract work, people would describe them as very atmospheric. And I started to think of them as worlds, even though they did not have the structure that they have now at all. They did not have any recognizable elements, no doors, no walls. Um, but I started to think of them that way. And then it was like, once I started to think of them that way, I could make them that way in a new way. And so there is this like building block process of understanding and then acting. And I think that that's what, like a lot of the artists that I work with um, have questions about is it's like, well, I don't have this all figured out or I don't, I don't even feel like my work means anything. And it's that power of, of reflecting that allows you to then make certain choices moving forward. And that's been huge for my own development. And then I would say like on the self-taught front, um, you know, I've heard from you and others who have gone through school that like, I imagine maybe you have a certain level of confidence just in like, you've tried out lots of materials and you've gone through the process of learning the techniques that were mandatory for you to learn. And so you maybe have this like confidence of like, okay, I know what that is, but then the battle you're having is like, how do I break myself out of this box? Whereas I think mine has been a bit of the opposite where it's like trying to like, well, what is the box? First of all, <laughs> do I fit in it? Do I not? How do I create my own box? Do I need to create a box? Like there's the, in the self-taught realm, it's like, yes, you have this freedom, but you have so many questions that you're piecing together. And so for me, part of that dance has been, okay, I want to feel knowledgeable. I want to feel like I have enough context to have understanding of what I'm doing but I don't want to try to fit a mold or a standard that doesn't resonate with me. So piecing that together myself has also been like a blessing and a, and a curse a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm in like, it, however we come to it, you know, I do think as artists, whether you're self-taught or trained or whatever, we all have that moment where we're sort of looking at this planet from a distance and going, yeah, I think I built that. I think I made that and then slowly zooming in yes. to like what is on that planet and I had the same experience of having you know this much more abstract work that didn't necessarily reference anything in particular but was these like explosions of color and they did look like these little cosmos and I realized you know I just slowly started zooming in to the things that I really enjoyed about those and realized I am creating these both external worlds and these like internal womb worlds for a long time I did that and but it wasn't until I really started zooming in on certain areas that my world building started taping, taking shape like mm -hmm. like you said you started building walls you started putting windows on the walls and um it's like a really poetic way to to talk about your work I think the way that um you developed it and and I think a lot of artists especially if you start out abstract kind of find that 
um, find themselves in that same place. Mm-hmm. Yes. The zooming in feels very real. It feels like once you're like, again, to use another metaphor for my work, oh, there's a door here. And then <laughs> you go through the door. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> do I want to keep this door Whoa. open or do I need to close it? Okay. Yeah. Well, one thing come out at a time here because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of like fumbling to find the door and like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And then it's just kind of this like never ending. What is that? Like Russian doll experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, which is very, very cool. Um, so I think that actually kind of brings us to just talking about like the framework that we want to share with, with other artists, like, and why we created this course. I mean, we don't have to talk too much about it. Like I said, I will have already given a spiel in the intro, but that feels like a normal conclusive spot, which is just like, we love this for so many reasons that we've shared and more, which you'll learn about when you take our course. We have uh, slides upon slides. Of yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything you want to share about that, about like why you were driven to like do this course together? Um, what you're excited about? I know I could talk about it forever because we've just had so much fun nerding out about it. <laughs> yeah. It's like sending each other messages. Did you see this artist? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, the, I love teaching. I love sharing what I've learned. And I think to get really basic and general about it, creating is a very good thing. It's a very healthy thing. And I think it's one of the best ways that I am able to process this world. And I know I'm not alone in that. Um, But there are all of these kind of like roadblocks, it feels like. Even being a trained artist with who's shown and done all these things, there's still roadblocks everywhere. And It's people telling you that you can't do a certain kind of work or that what you've done is too XYZ. And these people are like insecure. So just don't listen to them. Um, But I I do think it all comes down to like a lot of us have this in us to make stuff. A lot of us have the urge to create a place for them for ourselves. Um, And it can be really hard if you don't have somebody there cheering you on, validating you and helping you along and giving you knowledge that is otherwise very locked up, like doesn't come out of the doors of the art school. Um, So like, that's a big part of my impetus to to go from uh, like your very traditional institutional learning to, to something like this, because I believe that maybe the people who are able to go to art school aren't the most imaginative people or the the people who need this the most. Um, yeah, I know those are fighting words. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> going to art school, I agree. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think I, I'm just going to say that I think that there's a human need to be able to do this with very little guidance and very little context. And, you know, that was part of my drive. And to be able to do it with somebody who, you know, creates worlds too, comes at it from a different perspective. But I think we both end up in the same similar place. It's kind of a dream. Like this is what art is about to me. It's not about sitting in critiques and tearing each other down at all. It's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the same. It has been a total dream collaboration. Like I was just amazed the whole time we were creating it at how complementary our backgrounds and perspectives and personalities and strengths were. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I just learned so much from you in, in putting it together that made me so excited to get to share I was with other people. Um, and yeah, also too, like, it's the course that I would want to take. Like I freaking love world building. I want to be in a group with other people where we are like fleshing out aspects of our world and learning more about this thing that we love. And then also putting context to it in a, like, for those of us who haven't been to school and who want that, but who want it in an accessible way. Um, so yeah, I, I cannot wait. I'm very excited. <laughs> I know I I'm going to try not to get too excited when we teach because I'll be like, look, we got a time limit. <laughs> yeah. We have <laughs> to, to keep the ex- excitement to a minimum. <laughs> I do think, I also think like one of the most valuable things about this is we, we have that uh, small group session where people are going to actually get feedback on their work. And I think to get it from, you know, a self-taught person and a, a trained person who are going, we're going to look at your work respectfully, you know, we're not going to be harsh or cruel about it. I think that's a really valuable experience that you don't always get. It is so hard to find like truly constructive feedback about your work. Um, yeah. And so that I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's one of those things that like, you cannot realize how valuable it is until you actually experience it and go through it and have all the aha moments and all of the validation. Um, mm-hmm. I know that like in the group that you run that, that I've taken part in some of the conversations we've had about my work have been just, I, I don't even know what what's the the catalyst. That's what I'm looking for. Like the biggest catalyst for some of my next steps. And it's just, it's invaluable. And and you walk away feeling so good. And, um, and I guess I'm sharing that too, because I know for people who either have been through critiques that have been scarring or who have never taken part in a group and maybe they feel nervous or not ready. Um, I'm sharing that to say that, like, if you feel that way, you will probably walk away the most positively affected. Um, because the, the kind of confidence and validation that comes from that, like cannot happen in a vacuum. I don't even necessarily know if it can happen one-on-one. Um, and so I am, I'm excited for that too. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, (laughs) to be crude, we can be constipated with our (laughs) ideas and we literally have to just get it out in, in a safe place, in a place where we're going to be supported. And to, to show your work and to have like five or six other people say, hey, I see what you're doing here. And to realize that, yeah, that is what I'm doing. Wow, I am visually expressing what I want to express is like, that's those are the moments. Yeah, the catalysts, like you said, where you're going, oh, I'm doing what I want to do. Or, oh, I am on the path that I want to be on. And you can't find that anywhere else. And like mm-hmm. you said, even one-on-one, you know, there's something about being in a group that that is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, if you want more world building chat, you have to come hang out with us over the course of four sessions in our course. (laughs) Um, And on that note, thank you so much for coming on and nerding out about this. I feel like we could do a part two, three, and four. I guess that's why we're doing the course. (laughs) We could talk about this forever. (laughs) Let's. 
All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marissa. Obviously, I love talking to her. I love her perspectives. And I'm really, truly honored to be teaching this course with her. So if you are interested in getting your world building, creative cosm construction game on with us, please head to the link in the show notes. Like I said at the beginning, we start together on April 9th and the last day to enroll is April 1st, which if you're listening in real time is not this Friday, but next Friday. If you enjoyed this episode, what really, really helps this show grow and get this conversation to other artists are a couple things, but mainly sharing on Instagram and tagging us. I know we all have a love hate with the gram, but truly that is how this show gets out there and is able to continue getting made. Our handle is at art and magic podcast. And if you want to check out what I'm up to, I am at Devin Walls Art. Other ways you can support the show are over on Patreon, where you can access bonus episodes from the past that aren't available anywhere else. Um, And you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're on the app, just scroll down, hit the five stars, and let us know why you are digging the show. So that is everything for today. Thank you so much for listening in, and I'll see you next time.